Hey, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving 2021 from the Giles Files. In the spirit of the holidays, this week we thought we'd share two of our favorite interviews from last season. Plus, a new Know Your Damn History profile that you do not want to miss. Producer Nancy Wyatt and I have had such a blast putting this podcast together. And two of our favorite people are New Yorker cartoonist Roz Chast and CBS News audio engineer Cindy Gomes. They are crazy talented, they're tons of fun, and they're amazing storytellers. First up... Uh, My name is Roz Chast. I am a cartoonist. My work primarily appears in The New Yorker. And that's about it. We met up with Roz, fresh off one of her quirky safaris along the hard scrabble streets of New York City. Born in Brooklyn, her brilliantly funny New Yorker cartoons have been making us giggle since 1978, when she was hired as only the second female staff cartoonist in the magazine's history. Check that out. Do you feel like you're defined by by that profession? Um, to some extent. I think sometimes people will say, like, oh, I bet I'm going to show up in one of your cartoons next. And, you know, maybe they will. Um, Is that yeah. how you get some of your ideas? Oh, Are yeah, they definitely. Definitely from encounters with people? Definitely. And- Things I overhear. I just was at a diner before this and overheard the most wonderful person behind me asking, are you my waiter? And he had this wonderful New York accent, and I almost like wanted to like turn around and like, and then it then it got better. Then it was like, oh, I want the I want the broiled salmon. No, no oil. I'm allergic to oil. And it was like you know if you wrote it out, the O Y hyphen U L oil, or O H hyphen Y U L, and then it was. Yeah, tell the guy to make it with butter. No oil. And, and it just went on and on and on. So, you know, I was just taking notes. I may not use it. And, you know, I mean, it, he seemed like otherwise a very nice man. And I hope he's not listening to this because, you know, that's all I would need is like, for him to, like, hear this and get offended. But really, it wasn't offensive. It was just like, oh, my God, I love the way he's breaking all of these words into, like, multi-syllables. It was just great. And butter. And wonderful. It was wonderful. Is everything okay? So he did get the meal that he, he wanted. He got the meal that he wanted. Everything was good. And you take notes. Yeah, I do. I take notes. I make sketches. I love being in New York partly for that because you never, you're, you're with millions of people and you can eavesdrop on everybody. And unless you're like totally naked, you know, and wearing like, or wearing a gorilla suit, like nobody's gonna notice you. <laughs> and I love that, I love that. You just, if you're a writer or an artist, it's just material everywhere you go. I grew up mm-hmm, here, mm-hmm, so it's yes. really, uh, it, it makes more sense to me than any other place, yeah. you know. Take us through a Roz Chast week. You know, Monday you've got a deadline, what happens? Uh, it's quite horrible. (laughs) It always is. It always has been. Um, There's a lot of procrastination and the checking of the email and the drinking of the coffee and the like, maybe I need a graham cracker now. 
and uh, then I'm thirsty and I have to make more coffee and there's now I have to check my email again and <laughs> you know there's just a lot of that kind of stuff and I find hair products are also a good distraction what did I put in my hair let me I might try to twist it a different way yeah, as, the, yes. as I'm stalling to oh, do things oh yeah, things. yeah. I, it's my cuticles for me uh. cuticles it's like look at that that. that needs to be pushed back, you know, and it's it's just this like I know when I'm dealing with the nails like something bad is going on, you know, but so yeah, that's that's my hair thing. It's like look at that, I'm really like what is happening over there? It's I think it's I don't really know how the work gets done. I don't really understand it. I often have like I have pieces of paper. I have a box that has pieces of paper with like scraps of ideas on them because as, as the week goes on I'm jotting down ideas. I jot them down on anything that's at hand. Sometimes it's a napkin, sometimes it's a tiny torn off piece of paper, sometimes it's, I, I'll be smart enough to carry a notebook with me but I don't, I'm not, not methodical. So there's scraps of paper that have ideas um, and then somehow the work gets done and in spite of me and that is I don't know is you know? it usually last minute uh, there's a uh, lot of last minute closer to Monday like yes Sunday morning is there oh, a there's level of pressure that oh yes definitely the that sparks the, the final idea I usually come to my desk on Monday morning um, <laughs> with these ideas because the pressure helps focus me and I feel like if it's, it, there, it has to be sort of titrated exactly right, because if it's too panicky, then I can't think. Right. But if there's too much time, I also can't think. And it just, it, it's a weird thing. There's a, like a mood thing that has to happen when things are funny. And you can <laughs> sort of read it, and you can say, oh no, it'll be funnier like this. And if that's not happening, then it's really, then it's time for like more graham crackers and coffee, <laughs> you know? But luckily, the thing with cartoons that's great is that there is this deadline and there is a weekly thing. And so I think that if I didn't have deadlines, I might have like one cartoon that I was constantly like trying to perfect, <laughs> you know? For the last 20, 30 years. For the last 20 or 30 years. And it it's would, not quite it's right. It's not quite right. And like, look at the way that hand is holding that, you know, and it's wrong and I have to like, you know, and then you could just work on one thing forever. About how many drawings do you end up submitting every week? Six or seven. Six or seven. And yeah. out of that, what is the New Yorker? They, they might take one, they might take none. Every blue moon, like maybe once a year, they'll take two. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's no guarantee Two's of anything. A good week. They've never taken all six or seven. Oh, golly, no. Okay. When no, you, no, no. When you yeah. create a cartoon, what comes first? The image or the thought or the joke? Or Most of the time, it's the joke. I would say 95% of the time, it's the words and the joke. And that just comes into your head or something you saw at a Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an idea. And in fact, the New Yorker cartoons in the old days used to be called idea drawings, which I love because ah. that's what they are. They're ideas, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and then you draw them up and they're cartoons, but really they're ideas. Um, but every once in a while, I've had something where I'm doodling and something will come up. You know, the idea will come from the doodle. Mm -hmm. So that, it happens both ways, but more words first and then... 
how do you know this is the one? I get sort of excited. I think that's part of it. Like a good, it's a feeling, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And I get sort of excited and I get interested. And sometimes it makes me laugh, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) That must Uh, feel good. Yeah, that is just. um, I mean, I've had things where I can't draw because I'm laughing, (laughs) you know. But that doesn't happen like too often. Uh Where I'm really like every time I think about it, like I have to put the pen down because I start laughing, you know. You know, you've been making your living doing this for a long time, and, and for a lot of artists, they don't make a regular living. You know, you don't get a check every right, week. Right, that's like absolutely that. true. How have you managed to manage your money? How have you worked out your finances? Uh, or if you haven't, if it's been difficult, you know, um, people are curious about that. I think, I wouldn't quite say that I'm frugal, but um, I do always know that there are good weeks and bad weeks and weeks where, boy, if I earn this every week, I'd be like sitting pretty. And then, <laughs> you know, the next three weeks, like no money comes in. Right. And it's just been like that from the beginning. So I think I started doing this so young, you know, that I've always kind of, it's just like gradually gotten used to that idea that there are ups and downs and that's the way it is and you know don't count your chickens and you know stuff like that. We'll have more Ross Chast in a bit. That talented little gal sure knows how to take a bite out of the big apple. Here's a little ditty I wrote and it goes something like this. Roz sees funny things around the city and draws cartoons that are quirky and witty. The bump and grind with the crackle of the urban zone. She's a Brooklyn gal who has a way with a pen every week at her desk. She does it again with a blink and a giggle. Her style is all her own. Meet Cindy Gomes, sound engineer extraordinaire and one of the coolest people we know at CBS News. When you meet somebody for the first time, if they ask you like what your line of work is or something like that, what do you say and then how do they react to that? Um, I always say that I'm a sound engineer for CBS News and I work in the field and um, I work with a crew, a camera, a correspondent producer, but we mostly do. Um, we tape, you know, pieces interviews, elements for stories that are going to be on, you know, one of our platforms. So both of us Nancys have worked with Cindy and she is absolutely terrific. She's a real pro and she has some great behind the scenes stories to prove it. We spoke to Cindy at the tail end of the 2020 presidential campaign. I think people sometimes are surprised that I'm doing that kind of work. I mean, I'm, I'm a woman working in a very male-dominated part of that industry on the production side. I like what I do. I like the fact that it's every single day is different. Every day is a new experience. I mean, I, I get to do some amazing jobs. I meet amazing people, and not just the celebrities. I mean, just average people who have incredible stories you know, bad things that have happened to them and how resilient, I mean, just some really awesome situations. I mean, I've met presidents. I've been around some very, very, very important people. Tell us about what it's like to cover a Trump event from your work perspective and your person perspective. Okay. Um, The last event I did was in a place called The Villages, which is in Florida, and it's sort of a retirement community. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. And everybody drives golf carts, 
And it's kind of like, like being in a movie. It doesn't right. feel real. So being in that event where it already felt kind of surreal, he uh, just kind of soaks it all up because these people, they just love him. It doesn't matter what he says. The one thing that made me very uncomfortable was he always goes for the media and the press. And, you know, of course, he points to the back of the room and he starts saying, and, and, and they, you know, they're bad and they're going to ruin this country. And, and so I'm sitting there, you know, with my headphones on and I'm saying, well, he's talking about me. So the people, they, they get all hyped up about it and they, you know, and they're clapping and, and then it's, it's, it's uncomfortable and it's scary because you don't know what person or if there's somebody who doesn't like the press was going to turn on one of these days on us. You know, it's uncomfortable. Well, we've you seen know? scenes like some right. of his supporters shoving people around. Right. So it's, it's very different like I've never I mean I sort of experienced that a little bit during the primaries when he was running but this is like it's a whole nother like level and it just we already know like you know with the El Paso shooting and this guy was sort of felt it seemed like he was inspired by some of that rhetoric it it just feels kind of dangerous to me to, to have to be there but and this is part of the work, you know, that's Do happening. Do they say anything to you when they recognize that you're Um, Nothing specific to me. We're sort of lumped into this, Every all of us, technical, editorial, everybody, into this, you know, they're bad, they're bad, they're bad. And so that it's it's not it's not comfortable. I mean, I've, I've never experienced that ever. And I've been around candidates, presidents for over 20 years, and we never felt uncomfortable covering the president. Yeah, he's really mad. And it's like he's taunting. It's like he's taunting people, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, to me, it's, wor- I, it's worrisome. Is, am I pulling? Am I pulling? Uh, yeah. I hear it keep rumbling. I'm not sure if it's you or if it's you. Well, I know you shoot me oh, these okay. looks. It's funny. All right. All right. Sound <laughs> is like the bane of my existence with this. Should I move the mic up or down or is it? It could be rubbing against the lapel part of your I didn't place it. it. Where should I put it? Cindy Gomes, sound person, is now placing right. the mic. Yeah, I bet that's going to be better because it's, it's not going to hit the fabric, right? Yeah, I think so. Are yeah. some people a little wiggy about being touched, you know, because the kind of work you do, you have to be really careful. And I, I've been fortunate, mostly guys do this work and they're very respectful and can you put this here and you know, blah, blah, blah. You are one of only two women in my entire career mm-hmm. that does this kind of work. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if people react to you any differently or? I, you know, I, I have to admit that I am sometimes nervous with certain interview subjects, um, like yeah. especially celebrities and especially women. You know, I'm always nervous about, well, what are they wearing? What are they going to have on? And how am I going to navigate getting a microphone on them? Are they going to even want me to mic them? And, you know, so most of the time people are generally cool and they let me do my thing and, and it's okay. But there have been a couple of situations where, you know, they didn't particularly want me to, you know, put the mic on them, um, can I say? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We need names. Um, 
Well, like Jennifer Lopez does not like to be mic'd. She prefers to have a boom. Um, and I think she probably just isn't really that comfortable with people kind of having to go underneath her clothing to place a microphone on her. And I get that because it can be uncomfortable. Two situations that, that stand out to me were um, one with Grace Jones and the other with Cardi B. Um, basically, Grace Jones, um, we were setting up to do an interview with her, and she showed up, and she was pretty lit. Um, I don't know if she had been drinking, but she was in rare form, and so I already knew it was going to be challenging. And she had on a, a blouse that was see-through, and she didn't have on anything underneath, no bra, nothing. And so when I went over to place the mic on her, of course, I, you know, told her that I was, you know, did she mind if I, if I got a mic'd up? And she said, no, darling, of course not. And she just completely lifted up her shirt and basically she flashed me. Um, and I <laughs> was startled and actually really not sure where I was gonna put the mic at that point. Um, and everybody had a good laugh. It was pretty funny. The second time was with Cardi B. And it was a two day shoot, uh, several different locations. And when she showed up to the first location, we it was at a club that she, that she used to work at. And so, I was trying to figure out how I was going to get a mic, and I think somebody from her camp said that I was going to have to get in the car and mic her before she walked into the club. So that's always pretty awkward because cars are small and tight, and I didn't know what she'd have on or or anything. So I go to the car, and um, <laughs> it's it's pretty tight, and of course she has on an extremely tight, tight fitted, um, long coat. And I said hello to her and she completely didn't acknowledge me. Didn't even look at me. It was like I was invisible. And then I was nervous and I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? So she's sitting in her seat, her legs are crossed. And, um, I just proceed to start, you know, taking my, my microphone, and the wire, and I'm trying to sort of navigate and get up through and under her clothing to get the mic on the lapel, um, which was extremely difficult because she didn't budge. She didn't help me in any kind of way. She never looked at me. And the whole time I am, my hand is in places where I don't think it should have been, and I'm totally uncomfortable. Um, and I finally, string the, the, the microphone up so that I can get it attached to her lapel. But then I had nowhere to put the transmitter because A, where she's sitting down, um, and the, she really just has on like underwear underneath. So I'm like, well, I don't know where I'm going to put this transmitter now. So I just kind of clipped it onto her boot and just hoped that when she got out of the car, it stayed on. Well, that was just a complete total nightmare for two days because for two days I had to, you know, mic her 
and have the mic clipped onto her boot, which fell off all day long, two days in a row. And, um, you know, so I was a, just a nervous wreck that um, the audio would be compromised, but somehow we managed to get through it. And, uh, and I'll never forget how awkward that was. Um, I, and I always feel like because I'm a woman, I think people, I would think that people would be more comfortable with 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 me but you know I don't know I don't know if it's a you know a man or a woman thing I just think you know everybody's different and some people you know some people get excited uh, well yeah like guy, you know sometimes guys will joke and go oh, oh haven't had that much excitement in a while and you know stuff like that but, standard sound jokes right yes. standard sound jokes but yeah um, I had a situation recently with Dionne Warwick. I went over to her before I started to put the mic on and I asked her if it was okay if I started to mic her. And she said, <laughs> she said, um, I, I prefer you don't. And so I just sort of thought, well, okay, well, how am I going to get the mic on it? So then I just proceeded to do it. And as I was pulling her, the, her shirt to go mic her, and I'm very gentle, uh, she just looked at me and said, I said I didn't want... <laughs> so I, I just ignored it. I had to do my job. She had to be mic'd. So I just kept putting the mic on her. And then I started to talk to her, and I told her a story about how I had been to her house many years ago and met her son, because I used to work in the music business. Okay. And, and I said, oh, I've been to your house, I, you know, when you lived in Beverly Hills and blah, blah, blah. And so that like broke the ice. Wow. And then after that, she was totally, totally fine with okay. me. I mean, I can imagine it's a very, it can be a very private kind of sensitive yeah, yeah. thing. You've got, you're great with it though. You've always been well, excellent. Well, I, I yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I just, don't get me wrong, like, I am nervous a lot. That's the worst part of the job for me. Being nervous? Being nervous when I'm micing people. That's the, because that's the most personal right. you get with, with people. Mostly when it's a high profile situation with a high profile, you know, anchor or correspondent. And yeah, it's nerve wracking. And I just want to get the mics on and go sit down and put on my headphones and then I'm good and I'm relaxed and I just got to listen. But the, that part of the job really does make me uncomfortable. Uncomfortable? Cindy is a stone cold professional and cute as can be. Here's a little ditty that I wrote and it goes something like this. Two, three, four. Celebrity divas say take a hike, but Cindy carefully attaches a mic. She gets the job done no matter what they say. In a pocket of lapel or clipped to sequence, hot or cold, doesn't matter what season, she can capture a sound in every kind of way. Here's a look back at a fearless working girl from the 1940s. Gertrude Hadley Jeanette, New York City hack license number 31102. She is believed to be the first woman cab driver in New York City. Beep, beep, beep. 
Picture it. The Big Apple, 1942. According to the New York Times, Gertrude responded to an ad in a newspaper looking for women to replace the male cab drivers who'd been drafted into World War II. 32 of us took the test and only two of us passed, she said. But the other girl didn't get her license because she had citations on her driver's license. And so I, I was the first. Now Miss J, one of her Harlem street names, was a badass. When she was hacking in the city, hacking, that means driving a cab. Oh, they didn't allow black drivers to work downtown. Mm -mm. You worked uptown only. <laughs> well, you don't tell Miss J what to do. One day she rolled up to the Waldorf Astoria Hotel looking for a fare. And that's when the sh hit the fan. Say, buddy. You're not supposed to be in this line. What's up? The other cabbie started yelling at her. It was a taxi insurrection. And then they hemmed her in. But girlfriend stayed cool until one of the cabs lurched in front of her. I rammed my fender under his fender, swung it over to the right and whipped it she said in 2011 at a ceremony in her honor. And when the other driver got a good look at her, he screamed, a woman driver, a woman driver, that's a woman driver. What's a woman driver doing here, a woman driver? Well, all I can tell you is the badass Miss J rode off with a fare that day. Someone complained to the inspector, but so what? Miss J met her husband-to-be on her prom night. Dude was 35 years her senior, and they eloped to New York in 1933. Her husband, Joe Jeanette, taught her how to ride a motorcycle. And she was one of the first women in New York City to get a license for that. Once again, badass. Always trying to do better. She signed up for a speech class and found herself doing scenes with Ossie Davis, Ruby Dee, and Sidney Poitier. And then she blew up to become a Broadway television and film actor in flicks like Cotton Comes to Harlem and Shaft. And she was a playwright. She was a producer and a director. IMDB her, she is a goddess. Ms. J won awards. She acted into her 80s and was directing into her 90s. And there's lots more like uh, hanging out with Paul Robeson and Tennessee Williams and being blacklisted. But I don't know if you can handle all of that. You know what I'm saying? Gertrude Hadley Jeanette died in 2018 in her Harlem home at 103. Like I said, badass.
Roz Chast is the author of nine books, including a graphic memoir about her parents' later years called Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant?, which was a New York Times bestseller and won a prestigious National Book Critics Circle Award. So right now, Roz is going to take us back to her school days as an art student at the Rhode Island School of Design, otherwise known as RISD. Uh, when I went to RISD, it was the first time that I ever thought that you know, I, I was really bad and um, that I sucked and that my drawings were terrible and that also cartooning was stupid and I shouldn't do it. And so... All of this at all the place this, that you chose to go study. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, it had a sort of weird silver lining in that, for one thing, it was the first time in my life I'd ever been with people where everybody was the artist in the class. There were people who were incredible. And not only just withdrawing, but just conceptually, you know, they were so far ahead of me. Because also I had gone to like public school, you know, and public school is a really different thing oh, from, yeah. you know, a private school where you're talking about like Helen Frankenthaler and picture planes and stuff like that. I didn't know anything, you know. I started out in graphic design, which I was totally unsuited for, because that really is about neatness and straight lines and minimalism and technical. and technical and all of those things I was the opposite of. Right. So then I switched to illustration, which was okay but a little bit boring and I was living with painters and I loved hearing them talk about art with a capital A. And I just thought that's, even though I was a terrible painter and not even really wanting to paint, somehow I felt like that was real art. Um, my, by my senior year, I had sort of secretly gone back to drawing cartoons, but my teachers weren't interested. No. No, not at all. I had shown one of them a sketchbook, and he was so dismissive that I got kind of... Oh, and also when I was at RISD, there was a, a magazine uh, started by... This was probably even worse. Uh, there was a cartoon magazine that was all boys. It was called Fred. And um, the, I submitted... Um, some cartoons and they were all rejected and I remember I cried. I cried like a widow girl and it was really hurtful and I have to say the fact that like none of these boys ever became professional cartoonists, if you think that doesn't give me great pleasure, you know, you're, you, you don't know me. <laughs> right on. You know, every day. I think none of them, because I would have heard, maybe they're illustrators, I don't know what they're doing, but none of them became cartoonists. And it's like, yes, yeah, yes, I win, you lose, goodbye. Revenge is sweet. It is sweet. Isn't it? It is sweet. And sometimes it's necessary. Not that, you know, you carry it around with you every second of the day, but that you know it was important and you, that you settled that score. If you didn't do this kind of work, what would you do, do you think? I never had a plan B. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I think I, I really might be, I don't know. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I, this is all I ever wanted, want to do and ever wanted to do. I, ne I never, I can't even imagine doing something else. To someone that really wanted to do this kind of work that you thought had talent, would you give them, what kind of advice would you give them? If you can do something else, you should do that. 
you know, don't do this. This is like really, it's a lot of re rejection and you have to really want to do it. This, is, this has to be what you, and, and maybe you can't do anything else. I mean, that's how I felt. I felt like this is all I do. Mm -hmm. You have to really want to do this and you have to listen to what, it sounds so corny to say, what your heart is saying, you know? And like when you're, when you're working, like, you know, do it to how you want it to be. You know, don't let some teacher who told you do it this way overrule how you want to do it. Stick to your guns. You know, if somebody says, you know, it would be much better if, you know, you made your drawing style a lot more like so-and-so's. You know, which, which happened when I was starting out, like, don't. No. Can I show this? Yes, do. You, you have to. This. This is I oh pe I peed my we, pants. Oh. Okay, <laughs> oh it's good. one of our all-time favorites. Oh my god! I mean, it was so good that I took a pho I photoshopped it and sent it to my boy. We sent yeah. it ricocheted. Oh around. my god! Laughing. Oh my god! I think we read it over twice. We did. Oh, this god. is a cartoon called Top Ten Dog Hits of All Time. We will show this we'll on show our Instagram. Okay. Tell us how you got the idea for that. <sighs> I, I, you know, again, it's really <laughs> hard to kind of say. It's, it's dogs are kind of funny. The way dogs kind of, I don't know, they like smell each other's butts. <laughs> <laughs> there is a kind of radar to that butt yeah, smelling, you know. It's just wild. <laughs> it's like, it just cracks me up. But that's, you know, that's dog life, I guess. You know, it's not funny to them. It's, <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's, it's, it's serious business. It serious yeah, business. yeah. So yeah, dogs seem very funny to me. Now back to the adventures of Cindy Gomes. She wasn't always a sound engineer. Here's the tale of her journey from singer to unit manager. What does uh, being a unit manager entail? It's administrative. It's payroll, financial reports, basically accounting for the money that the Bureau is spending, like what it's costing to do a story. So that encompasses the travel and the freelance hires and the this and all kinds of stuff, all the stuff that I hate. But it was a job at that point, you know, it's been 10 years of the music thing. I had kind of ran the whole gamut. I did so much, traveled all over the country. And I was sort of like, again, I had two goals in my life, music, television, and now here I was in the news division going, you know, this could be an opportunity to transition mm -hmm. to something a little more stable. And I was, I never saw myself as that person that was just going to be that diehard singing, you know, in little clubs till I'm 50. I just, you know, it's, I, hard it's hard. And I kind of was ready to have more stability in my life. So I did that for three years. And after three years, I was just like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> but I was getting to know all the crews. Quite frankly, I'm seeing the timesheets and I'm like, wow, they got to do all this great stuff and wow. they're traveling. And of course the money was good, but it didn't, it didn't occur to me at, you know, right away that it was something I could do. But then there was a, a sound man who was retiring. Mm -hmm. So one day, jokingly, I said to Terry, you know, I'm getting kind of bored. You know, I'm doing this, you know, it's, it's just, I'm sort of like not really challenged in this, this job. And, and I think I could be a sound person. And she just kind of looked at me 
Um, and I said, yeah, I said, I mean, you know, I worked in the music business. I, I've been in studios. Um, there aren't any women. So then she came back and said, hey, you know, I kind of talked to the, the guy, the crews, and they think, sure, why not? Let's try her out. Let's, we'll, you know, we'll train her. But the deal was, you have to quit your job. We're going to try you out for six months. And then if, if it didn't work out, you I know, was you're out of a job. Asked out, I'd just be out of a job. I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. What do I have to lose? And, um, but it wasn't easy. Now I was going into this department. That we, there was only one other woman, and she was a camera person. And then I had to kind of work with all of these guys. And most of them were on board with me coming over, but some were sort of like, oh, she was an accountant. I, you know, I can't tell you how many people said to me, oh, what's it like leaving um, you know, the accountant business? And it was really, really uncomfortable a lot because I would end up on these big remotes and these big jobs with all men. Mm -hmm. And not everybody wanted to help me. Quite frankly, there were, I think, people who kind of would have been okay with me failing, you know? Did anybody ever try to sabotage you? Did you feel? I felt there was definitely like trying to get equipment. I, I remember the first package I got on my first out of town shoot. We were doing a walk and talk and I had given two wirelesses to the correspondent and the, the subject. And all of a sudden the sound crapped out on one of the mics. And so I'm, I'm like looking in my bag and I see that the whole entire receiver just like fell apart. Well, I didn't know how to fix it. And how did that happen? And I don't want to say, <laughs> but you know, like everything was an issue. I mean, I couldn't ask for a windscreen without getting like, well, what do you need that for? I couldn't really ask people for help. You know what I mean? Like I had to kind of figure out stuff on my own. She doesn't belong here. She right, right. And then there was that, like, if I asked for help, it would seem like I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what I was doing. I had, you know, good ears and, you know, I could learn anything. But when it came to troubleshooting, mm -hmm. you know, and then having to ask somebody, oh, you know, could you show me how to fix this? Or I, you know, was really, really uncomfortable. But you know what? I had a couple of hiccups in that, during that six month period and I thought, oh my God, I don't know. But then I just had this, this will. I'm like, I'm keeping this job. I don't care if, if they, don't, <laughs> they don't feel comfortable. I'm not going anywhere, right. so get used to it. As an editor, when I saw your name on the tape, <laughs> it was like the sound is going to be tight. See. <laughs> I don't have to worry it's about that. Wow, thank you. Wow. Um, Cindy Gomes. That should be on your business card. Cindy yeah. Gomes. Her shit is tight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Were you on a crew interviewing Obama? I, I traveled with Obama for a whole year. Wow. Yes, I had to Mike Obama. I traveled in 2008. I spent um, like 238 days on the road. Um, 
How was he to Mike? Oh, I, so he, <laughs> come on, give it to us. No, he he Does was. He smell good? Yeah. <laughs> you know that's so funny you said that. You know, miking him was fine. He was fine. He was great. It was never ever an issue. Um, he, he was just great. I mean, he was great. Oh, I mean, I could tell you another story yeah. that's unrelated to miking about him that was actually pretty wonderful. Um, but my nephew at the time was probably eight years old and my girlfriend's son um, was staying with me and he was my, maybe 10. Mm -hmm. And they were so excited that I was going on the campaign with Obama that they um, asked if they could write him a letter and if I would give it to him. And I said, well, sure. I said, write the letter. I said, now, I haven't met him yet, but you know, I, I'll have to feel it out and, and I'll try to give him your letters. So they were so cute. They wrote these notes. Dear um, Obama, thank you for running for president. I hope you do good things for kids, you know, something like that. And they put them in envelopes. And, and um, the first day I got on the plane, it just so happened, and the press would always sit in the back of the plane. The, the uh, crews would sit in the far back. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you'd have the print, and then the correspondence, and then his people, and then he would be in the front. But anyway, you know, the, he would get up and stretch and walk to the back and, and sometimes talk to the press. And so the first day I'm on the plane, he got up, and he was walking toward the back of the, the plane. And so I thought, oh, shoot, you know, this is my, my opportunity. And I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about, you know, approaching him. And I, I get the, I pull the letters out and I sort of have them ready. And I'm like, oh, maybe he'll come all the way to the back. And so he does. So as he comes back, he kind of looks at me. And I just, I introduce myself and I said, hi, you know, my name is Cindy Gomes and I'm with CBS News. And I said, do you mind? And I have the letters in my hand. He could see it. And I said, do you mind? My, my nephews, um, wrote, they wrote you a note, and they asked me to give it to you. And, and he says, oh, that's so nice. He says, oh, sure. So I hand him the, the, the letters. And he puts them in his pocket. And then, you know, and then he proceeds, and he goes back to the front of the plane. I think it was the next day he gets up and he's coming toward the back of the plane. He's got two pieces of paper in his hand. And, you know, of course, as soon as the candidate's up, all the press is like, you know, they want to ask him questions and everybody's like getting ready. And he says, and I see that he's saying, no, 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 I'm just, just walking to the back of the plane. And he's coming toward me and I'm sitting there, I've got a tray of food and I see him coming toward me. I see the two little cards. I'm like, oh, shoot, I think he's coming back toward me. And sure enough, he comes over to me and he hands me these two pieces of paper. He wrote them both personal notes. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your kind. I want to cry. It was so beautiful. Thank you so much for your kind notes. Um, dream big dreams. And he personalized each one. It was the most like... Yeah, yeah, it was really, really, really cool. Two, three, four. Cindy Roz and even Miss J, three badasses who did it their way. They're working girls who made it in a world of men. 
We're inspired by the work that they do. We wanted to share their stories with you. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our favorite New Yorker cartoonist, Roz Chast. Check out some of her hilarious cartoons on our Instagram page at The Giles Files Picks. That's P-I-X. And thanks to the coolest sound engineer at CBS News, Cindy Gomes. And thank you to Gertrude Hadley Jeanette for her spittin' vinegar. You ladies are some badass bitches. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt. And recorded at our illustrious studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. We'll be back soon with another boffo episode of The Giles Files. Okay? A Huda Media Production.